alrighty, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. I'm Bruce Johnson, joined by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello, everybody. And we have an extra special guest today. My pastor, Pastor Jonathan Hansen, is uh, joining us, and we are here in the Connection Church in Leed, South Dakota. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's always yeah. a pleasure to you, be able to join you guys. You're like a semi-regular you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the guest credit to disappear <laughs> and for it to come up, you know, yes. also starring. Co-host. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Co-host, Pastor Jonathan Hansen. Yeah. So thank you so much for letting us use the space yeah, here. Really pleasure. appreciate it. Um, you'll also see that our episode on Monday is, uh, we recorded it here as well. Um, so super, super grateful to the church for letting us use their space. So it's today's, going to be it's going well. to be, yes, it's going to be going live and you'll see that on Monday. So um, today's episode is unique because it's a multi-purpose episode. We're not only discussing, um, I think in Pastor Hansen's opinion, one of the uh, greatest fictional series uh, written, um, but in addition to that, we're also going to be preparing for the next couple of months of literature episodes. So this is not something we've really announced yet. So this is the first time we're announcing this on the show. Mm, Starting what? in June. Yeah, you get to be part <laughs> of this. Woo-hoo. Starting in June, we are going to be uh, beginning to read through the Chronicles of Narnia, starting with uh, the magician's nephew. We're going to have that debate. Sorry. <laughs> I'll try and convince him to start with the correct one. <laughs> starting in June. Uh, so we figured, hey, we have a resident pastor here who like just loves, he loves this series so much he named one of his kids after a character. Yep, in, my, uh, my oldest son is named Caspian. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that kind of tells you where my heart is. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and I think you painted this uh, Yeah, that's here? actually a painting that I did for Caspian's room right after he was born. Nice. So mm. That's awesome. Yep. That is so cool. Uh, yeah, and then you brought this quote. He he comes in. We go we go to set up, and he comes in with like all these set pieces, and we're like, oh my goodness, you really love Narnia. <laughs> so we've got like a couple of books here. We're gonna get into all this kind of stuff. Decided to leave the wardrobe at home. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> I, I was hoping we get like an in person view of of Narnia itself, but all right. Um, Record the episode in Narnia. In Narnia, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, so we're going to get into all of that stuff. Um, so much to discuss here, and we're super excited to, to do that. Uh, but before we get into that, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week. And anytime we have a pastor or a uh, theological um, uh, learned person on the show, we uh, always like to have them talk about our verse of the week. So I'm going to pass it over to Pastor Hansen to do just that. Well, I hope I can pass the bar of a theologically learned person. <laughs> but the verse of the week I have been informed is Psalm 127 verses 1 and 2. Uh, this is a song of ascents. Interestingly enough, the author of the psalm is Solomon, not his father David. But these verses say, Unless the Lord build the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go to late, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to, the, to his beloved sleep. This is such a great verse. I'm going to put my iPad away because that's all I'm going to use it for. <laughs> it's, a, it's such a great, really, the whole psalm is such a great psalm. 
on the sovereignty of God and really mm. how if you are laboring just in and of yourself, anything you're doing is in vain. I mean, um, think of some of the examples that Jesus used so often, that of a farmer. Um, that farmer can go out early in the morning, can plow the field, can plant the seed, can cover the seed, can nurture it, can go weed the field. But unless the Lord sends the rain and gives the growth, hmm. it's in vain. Yeah. And I think it should be a passage that shapes everything we do in church life, in regular life. We ought to obey God. We ought to follow through on these things, on everything he's commanded us to do. But in reality, we don't know the future. We don't know what God is going to do. And so uh, one of the little statements that I came up with, in, especially in church planting, is true success is not often how we measure success. True success is faithfulness to God. Mm. I think uh, further yeah. reading on that would be in Kings or Chronicles, reading the story of Josiah. Um, Josiah... Um, reinstituted worship in the temple. The previous kings were, uh, of Judah were evil and wicked, and Josiah reinstituted worship. They found the law of God. He made the people read the law of God. There was repentance, but God had already set his hand to destroy those people, to send them into exile. Mm. And so they were faithful. What Josiah did was right and good and righteous, but the plan of God was to crush them. Yeah. And so everything we do, as that psalm says, is in vain unless it is the Lord who does it. So wow. labor hard, but trust the sovereignty of God with everything. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, that's great. And that's why we have our guests do the wrap-up sometimes, <laughs> and especially pastors. That was awesome. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Yeah. So uh, what we're going to move into is kind of more of a like interview slash questionnaire forum. I think Pastor Hansen's exact words were, hey, you know, if, if you guys have a bunch of questions about the Chronicles of Narnia, I'd be more than happy to answer them. And I was like, how do you feel about sitting in front of a camera and a microphone and doing that? <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. Uh, Obviously, I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, I guess he's okay with it. That's great. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, one of the things I'm actually, you know, I'll, I'll pass it over to Jake in a second to start out, but I, I want to ask them one question that's going <laughs> to oh. open up a slightly. I know. We're going to start with this because I want to get it off my chest. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> and I want to hear the response um, because, you know, th there's a published order and then Oof. there's a chronological order of the books. There's five books. Mm -hmm. um, and in the published... There's actually seven books. Seven. Thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. There's seven books. Oof. See, this is okay. why we're reading through it. <laughs> right. and, and this is this is why I will be asking the questions. <laughs> <laughs> because of things like this. So um, so in the published order, which came first? Uh, so uh, the, the, the two ways you're uh, talking about is there's the original publication date, mm -hmm. which actually, if you look up here, that's my original copy. That's the first printing uh, here in the United States that was given to me by my uh, Sunday school teacher. And wow. if you look very close, you'll notice that it's different. It starts with the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Prince Caspian, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, Silver Chair, Horseness Boy, Magician's Nephew, and The Last Battle. Um, then there's the chronological order, uh, which is what most publication companies nowadays do, which is The Magician's Nephew, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Horseness Boy, Prince Caspian, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, um, The Silver Chair, and then The Last Battle. Gotcha. And so... Um, the reason that most publishing companies do it the way they do it now is because very late in his life, Lewis was interviewed and was basically asked the question, hey, should people read them in chronological order? And he basically responded, sure, yeah, that's great. That's sure, read them that way. 
you know, that's, he, he made a statement that alluded to that's how he wanted them to be read. However, I, I, I tend to push back on it really for multiple reasons. But most importantly, um, for a first read, I'm one of the proponents of reading it in the date of publication, starting specifically starting with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Because um, within The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you see the literary introduction of Aslan. Hmm. And what I mean is there's this beautiful scene where the four Pevensey children encounter Mr. Beaver for the first time and he takes him in the woods and you know there's spies everywhere and so he gathers them in as close as possible to where his whiskers are tickling their face <laughs> and he says Aslan is on the move just in a, in a whisper and Lewis goes into great de- detail to describe how each of the children react to the name Aslan wow. and he says in the book um, now of course they had no more idea of who Aslan is than you do speaking to the reader. And so I think Lewis's original intent was, you know, to read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe first because he's introducing the world and he's introducing the character of Aslan and and there's a purpose that he has to it. And so I always tell people, first time you read through it, read through it in the the publication date uh, because it seems to, the stories themselves seem to flow from that. Then go back and, I mean, every time I've read through them, I, I kind of pick and choose which one I'm in the mood for and read yeah. through them. But that's that's really interesting. That's I mean, kind of so my go-to. You had mentioned that to me back. Uh, this was a couple of weeks ago when I mentioned that we were going to start going through the Chronicles of Narnia, and I was like, and I think I think it was like you asked me like, oh, well, what book are you starting with? Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm being tested. <laughs> it's, and, uh, and I failed, well, especially uh, <laughs> among like uh, avid Narnia yeah, fans. It's, but, it's definitely a test. Like, hmm. Yeah, and which well, and first? then you were like starting to give all your reasons for why you know Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe should come first, and all this. Yeah. And, I, and then I was talking to Jake over the phone, and he was like, actually, I disagree. So what were, what were some of your, you well, had like a different... Well, I disagree before I knew a lot of the arguments. <laughs> so I misrepresented um, your entire case. And he... <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> That's how um, happens. But no, I, I, would, I would certainly go the route of, before knowing all of that, I went the route of saying that... Um, we, we, we have a focus as Christians, right, to focus on, focus on, on the gospel, right? Christ died mm-hmm. on the cross for your sins. But I think what people, what people do is that they only do that. And so then when they say to atheists, they say to them, uh, Christ died for you and has a wonderful plan for your life, right? And always when I'm thinking how the atheist would respond, it would, it would always be, Oh, thanks. I have a wonderful plan for my life as well. <laughs> because they don't understand that there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. When we first talk about there's something wrong, mm-hmm. then we can talk about how it's being fixed. So I, and that's what I would say is that Magician's Nephew sets it up to show that there is something wrong. Mm-hmm. And now we have throughout the rest of it showing how it's being fixed, how things are being fixed, how mm-hmm. things are, are going. But well, the I very think, first book is showing. How. I think I think uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe establishes that very well with the four Pevensey children, mm-hmm. almost in a a better way of presenting the gospel. And and I'm very hesitant to to say that because the Chronicles of Narnia never really, you know cuts forth and, and shares the gospel because the Chronicles of Narnia is not an allegory. Mm-hmm. Lewis was adamant it is not an allegory. Mm. Um, he called it a supposal, which I'll get more into that, I'm sure, later. Yeah. But um, like fun. <laughs> it, 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 
starts by displaying um, the contrast between the children and specifically with Edmund and Edmund being on the witch's side even before entering Narnia. And and Mm. one of the beautiful things about the Chronicles of Narnia is they don't... People are changed within Narnia by the quote that Lewis always used was breathing Narnian air. Um, And he used that quote as a way of coming to know who God is. Breathing Narnian air is coming to know who God is, how God has ordered the world. Um, But one of the effects that Narnian air has is it reveals who you are. And Hmm. so Edmund was already on the witch's side and that indwelling darkness within him, oh, you know, wow. Peter talking yeah. to Edmund and, and even saying as Edmund is bullying Lucy saying, you know, you've always liked to pick on children smaller than yourself. We've seen that at school. Like Edmund is already portrayed in this darkness. Hmm. And so it sets up what's really wrong as being the sin within mm-hmm. our own hearts. Um, and I think that's a beautiful, a beautiful place to start because mm-hmm. it puts us really when you come into it, uh, the four Pevensey children are, are surrogates in the story. Yeah, yeah. And you end up seeing yourself really in all of them. And I always saw myself very much in Edmund. Yeah. Um, Edmund was very much. And the same thing goes mm. with Eustace in Voyage of the Don Treader. Um, e- each one of the stories really does a good job of portraying what's wrong with the world mm-hmm. you know, because, of, well, because of Lewis's worldview. Um, and Eustace, his introduction is, you know, there once was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved his name, uh-huh. <laughs> right? You know, and Eustace, not to spoil anything, but in his time in Narnia, these books are like 70, you know, 60 years old. And yeah. Come on. I shouldn't have to worry about spoiling it, but <laughs> you know, but don't Eustace, <laughs> Eustace becomes what he is in Narnia. Like, that's what happens to him. He becomes what he is, and then Aslan intervenes and makes him something new. Hmm. And so, really, when you talk about, like, what's wrong with the world and how it's being fixed, each one of the books really gives a different perspective on the gospel. And so, one of the reasons I like reading Magician's Nephew and then The Last Battle is you have this contrast of the beginning of a world and you even see the end of a world charn they go into another world charn mm-hmm. and you see the death of a world yep right and then in then they go to narnia and they see the beginning uh, you know yeah. of a world yeah. and then in the very next book it is narnia becoming charn mm. and mm. so there's right. that immediate yep. Yep. contrast in how you read them yeah i think that's, that's really beautiful. interesting so, but I don't want to just keep talking no no questions. that's that is why we're here <laughs> um, so yeah one of the things I want to get to at the end of the episode saying this now for Jake's, we we both have a list of questions. So I'm just at the end of the episode, I'd love to ask about the magician's nephew specifically common Mm -hmm. themes, things we should be looking out for because I'm going to talk about this. When I ask that question, we have a um, continuing thing, a monthly episode we want to do uh, that involves pastor Hanson. And we're kicking that off today as well. But we have about 10 minutes before we get to that. So, time's going quick. It is going very quickly. Um, so, go ahead, Jake. What's uh, would, what's I, one burning question you have right now? <laughs> not necessarily a burning question. This is to set up um, in a sense uh, I don't I don't don't exactly know how to put it right now, but validity in a sense, but to give you sort of uh, why are you an authority on our show to talk about this, right? <laughs> and so I want to, wanted to ask to kind of show that. Um, how often have you, say, read the entire Chronicles? And or this read question alone, books? 
verifies why we. <laughs> it's a, my, one of my credentials as a as a Narnian scholar. Well, um, so very young in life, uh, I really don't even remember how old I was. Maybe eight, seven or eight. Um, my Sunday school teacher gave me uh, those hmm. books, and I just began you can grab to tear that if you through them. Yeah, just to uh, um, show them off a little bit. Yeah, um, gave we've me got these the books, camera right here that'll and they're fairly. I don't know what, you know, fairly worn, yeah, fairly well-loved, well-read through. Nice. Um, oh, and, and by I, the way, if you're podcast listeners, go back and check out this episode so you can check <laughs> yeah, this out. This is really cool. Very well-loved. Um, we put some, we put some uh, effort into our set here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You should go back and yeah, look, if you're look at listening, it. Yeah, just listening, go back. So uh, ever since I read through them, I read through them over the course of a year. And I've probably read through the entire series every other year um, with interspersed with reading through a few more than others. Voyage of the Non-Treader has always been one that I go back to again and again. Mm. Um, stuff like that. Uh, so I've been through them for well over a decade, reading them pretty much constantly. Uh, I like to say I feel like I kind of grew up in Narnia, um, kind of grew up breathing Narnian air, and it, it really has shaped so much of who I am. It has shaped a lot of my theology. Almost every time I'm preparing a sermon, every time I'm writing something, every time I'm talking to someone, something from Narnia or Narnia-esque always pops back up, <laughs> always comes to mind. Wow. And so I would never claim to be like an authority in, or uh, authority in it or, or a, a, Lew, a Lewis scholar. Um, <laughs> there are people who've gone to further education for that, but I'd like to consider myself a true friend of Narnia hmm. and Arkenland. That's awesome. Um, in my life. It's that was, that shaped was very all well said. who I am. Yeah. That was cool. And that's why I asked that question. There you go. <laughs> Sweet. So obviously... Chronicles of Narnia is a fictional story. Yes. We've spent the last two years on our show basically in the, the mire and the weeds of theology. Um, pretty much every book we've read has been a theological book of some variety. Now we're dipping into a little bit less theology and a little bit more storytelling, mm-hmm. a little bit more fiction, fantasy. And so I guess the question I want to ask, we chose Narnia because we're familiar with it. We have our own reasons and we'll discuss those. But what would you say is a good reason to choose Narnia, maybe for your children, maybe for someone who's really into theology and you're like, all right, you need to lighten up a little bit, but you also need to <laughs> also need to be well-grounded in the Word of God. Here's a good fictional uh, series for you to read. Why would Narnia be your pick for that? Uh, so I guess kind of two, two things on that. For children and then for people who are very interested in theology. Yeah. Um, I'll start with people who are very interested in theology. I would say theological depth grows well in Narnian soil. Hmm. Um, the beautiful thing about fiction and especially about really good storytelling is it allows truths to truly ruminate. Hmm. Um, when Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, he said that it all started with an image. It started with a picture, a fawn carrying parcels in the snow, a lamppost in a wood, you know, a white witch. It started with a great lion, like just these sort of sporadic images that came up to him. And I've even found myself in my own life, like grand theological principles of, say, like the sovereignty of God over salvation. And I picture the redemption of Eustace. Like it just, the image Mm. of it pops into my head of Eustace being stripped bare of his scales by the lion and thrown into the water, immediately baptized in the water of Narnia. Mm. And then he now represents who has become while he was 
you know, cursed. Yeah. And, and so the, the change of the heart on the inside due to the sovereignty of God, you know, like it's, it's these images. And so storytelling allows you to truly develop your theology. You begin to see it in depth. And I think good storytelling, especially because it's real, um, a, a good story is like, it's a real place. Yeah. You know, uh, and I think Narnia has that in spades because Narnia, especially the people who love the stories, Narnia is as real of a place to them as England. You know, we're in the United States as Norway, right? Like it's, yep. it's a distant place, but it's a place I know <clears throat> of. It's a place maybe you visited. And so um, that reality allows you to grow that theology. And I think that's the beautiful thing for children as well. Um, for children, it introduces you to some of these deep topics. Lewis very famously said that uh, children will face dragons and monsters in their life. So at least let them have heard of brave knights so that mm. they know what to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, and so it, 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 the stories teach us who God is and how he's ordered the world. And it does it in a way that children can easily grasp. And then rather than just a child having like a head knowledge of what bravery is when they're facing a bully at their school or something like that, they have an image of Peter, the high yeah. king, or an image of Caspian. And it allows them to take it to heart. Yeah, that's great. Well, we got time for about one more. And then I'll get into the final uh, final question to announce kind of what our next couple of months are going to look like. So if you have a quick question, two or three minutes, so be great. you want to go with this next part talking about, um, the three top three things, takeaways. Nope. That's no. for you. Okay. Go for it. Well, that's, that's more specific to that's going to, that's going to be hard, but, but if you um, can answer that quickly, that would be really cool. Okay. So <laughs> if we could, uh, talking about this first book, uh, not the book number first. six. <laughs> <laughs> number six, fine, fine. Uh, the magician's nephew. Uh, talking about that one, what would you say are the top three takeaways that Lewis intended for people to derive from it? Uh, top three. Mm. I know there's multiple different that you could derive from it, but what would you say are the most prevalent yeah like common themes things that keep coming back yeah. or maybe a driving point that it's like oh yeah i took that away from this book when i think magi magician's nephew this is what comes to mind yeah so kind of a, an overarching theme of the magician's nephew would be um familial love uh the mm. love for a son for his mother mm. um, which yeah. really depicts lewis's own life lewis lost his mother to cancer wow um, when he was very young and so you almost see Lewis in Diggory. Yeah. Um, so there's definitely a, a big theme of, of familial love. But really, the book, The Magician's Nephew, is a book contrasting life and death. It's contrasting beginnings and endings. Um, and so within that, you see what the death of a society looks like. And you see what the <clears throat> birth of a society looks like. Mm. Um, and so I would say kind of a common uh, narrative theme within The Magician's Nephew would be that idea of life and death, beginnings and endings. Yep. Um, beyond that, uh, second thing I would say to really look for is you, you see 
reality set forth as the song of God, God's singing Mm. creation into existence. And Mm. there's beautiful imagery in that, in the Psalms. Um, Tolkien really leaned heavy into that, into his mythology. And of course, Tolkien and Lewis were really good friends. Um, But I would say the second really big takeaway to look for is the character of Aslan. Hmm. Um, It's, it's, he's, sort of introduced in this book. Uh, I think his true introduction really is in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but um, he, he is introduced in this book uh, in a way. And so be looking for his character. And then um, the third big takeaway, I, I would say for me, the thing that always comes to mind with The Magician's Nephew is the care that Aslan has for his people. Mm. And uh, especially yeah. as a young child, I remember the first time I read it and it's always stuck out at me ever since. There's this beautiful scene where Diggory is, is, is weeping over his mother. Yep. He's asking Aslan for help. Aslan is going to send him on a mission to do something noble yeah. and something great. And he breaks down in tears and he begins to cry. And he just says, please, Aslan, can't you do something for my mother? And he looks up and he looks into the eyes mm. of the lion and he sees the lion crying. And in the book, it says in that moment, he felt as if Aslan truly cared more mm about his mother and her plight than he did. Yep. And I remember as a kid, this, this beautiful imagery of realizing God cares more hmm. about me and, and my issues and my hurts than I do. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was yeah. this beautiful picture of the love of God yeah. in a simple picture of a lion crying. Wow. Yeah. And, and so that is yeah. my always my big takeaway from that. That's fantastic. Wow. That was like literally three minutes. <laughs> that was, I'm trying to be quick. Those are incredible. <laughs> All right. So we've got five minutes left. Um, what I want to do is kind of this is part of the announcement of the books we're reading, the new structure, all of that. Part of this is that once a month, one discussion topic per month is going to be on the topic of the book we are about to read. That, Hopefully at the that beginning month. of the month. At month. the beginning of the month. Yep. So that's kind of actually what this episode is. Um, so that's why this last question is phrased kind of the way it is. Um, what we want to do in those, in those episodes, though, is not completely spoil the book for you, but we do want to give you some themes to look out for as you read through the book with us throughout the entire rest of that month. So we want to put some things in your, in your mind, put some, uh, what's the, put a, a bug in your ear or something. Mm-hmm. What's the, yeah. Just so yeah. that you're like, oh yeah, yeah, they said to look for this. So then it pops up and you're like, oh yeah, I would have missed that. Maybe something you might've glanced over, things like that. But we want to try and get, get you interested in the book. Um, so that as we read through it together, which is the whole point of the literature episodes is that you as the audience are reading these books along with us. It's not just us. That's why we always mm-hmm. say we are not an audiobook. <laughs> For the books we're reading, we have a few quotes here and there, but we are not meant to be an audiobook uh, uh, service. So read the book. Um, so this is my question for the next three minutes: is if you can, uh, can you briefly describe and briefly summarize the magician's nephew in a few sentences? How would you summarize the story arc without going into too many of the details? Um, I know that's really tough. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> There's so much tough. there. <laughs> so uh, uh, something to kind of keep in mind as you read this, uh, the, the Magician's Nephew is a creation narrative, mm-hmm. um, is what it is. Uh, but again, this goes into Lewis did not write an allegory. He was very, uh, an allegory is a one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Think uh, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you know, yep. uh, 
Christian represents the Christian. The burden on his back represents sin. Giant despair represents the sin of despair, right? It's a one-to-one ratio. Lewis wrote a supposal. He said, suppose a land like Narnia existed, and Mm. suppose God interacted with that world, how might he do it? Mm. And so in this supposal, it is a creation narrative, and we have our two surrogates, um, a boy and a girl, and they are thrust into this adventure by the boy's uh, crooked and corrupt uncle. Um, and it's, it's a story of them discovering a dying land and then discovering a new land, a birthed land called Narnia. And within that, there's different pictures of authority and power. Mm. Aslan has power because he's singing reality into existence. Yeah. Um, his uncle has a form of power, but it's a corrupt power. Mm. And yeah. so there's this, yep. this dichotomy. And of course, the witch has a corrupt power as well. She destroyed her world, you know. And so it's, it's a battle of authorities in a creation narrative. So this yep. is not a one-to-one of Genesis. This, this is a supposal of God creating another land. Great. That was awesome. It's pretty good. Thank you. Uh, any pleasure. final thoughts, Jake, you want to add just before we wrap up? I did want to add, and this dude's kind of out of place. It's not a question. It's kind of, in a sense, a statement and okay. something that I wanted to bring up. Um, but something that I, I brought from it, and Bruce and I were talking about it after we uh, listened and read to the book, read the book, um, uh, as for another time, you know, we we kind of saw a theme of um, of the wicked disobeying any authority, in a sense that um, the uncle, the evil uncle, said, "Science, like you have all these moral moral laws, but mm-hmm. they don't apply to me." Mm-hmm. A man of yeah. science, they Just, don't apply it. And, and if, you, if you listen very closely, the witch repeats the exact same exactly. statement. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that's yeah. what I wanted to bring up. Is Crazy that, Professor Kirk makes that statement, and the witch makes the same statement. Yeah. That it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a lo- high and lonely calling to which we're mm-hmm. called to, and they yeah. both say that same yeah. call, statement. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, I, I wanted to point. bring that up, and I thought that was, that was very interesting. Yeah. Um, but also I love the, the aspect of Charn in showing how... You, you see a society from the beginning when seeing the sculptures mm-hmm. back and forth. You see the society slowly crumbling. Uh, and because and you, you don't see why, right, why mm-hmm. it was crumbling. You can kind of see it through the faces. Mm-hmm. You can see a slow um, getting more angry, more sad. and yeah. As Lewis says, you know, the type of people you'd have to mind your P's and Q's around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so... So you can kind of see the degradation of God's law mm-hmm. throughout that. But um, so I, I thought that was also another interesting point to bring up. It, it is. And, and watch the comparison between that and what happens when Narnia is created. There's an mm-hmm. entire chapter that is called the telling of the first joke and other matters. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you have a progression of seriousness. Yeah. And then you have a beginning that is jovial <laughs> and full of jokes yeah, and laughter. Full of laughter. Right? Yeah, joy. So it's yeah. death seriousness, life, yeah. laughter. That's great. Right? So there's great so many dichotomy. things. The last thing I'd say to keep in mind throughout the entire series yep. is, you know, I've got the quote up here from Puddle Glum um, from The Silver Chair saying, I'm going to live as like a Narnian as I can. That's really the purpose of the books. Mm. The purpose of the books is to breathe in Narnian air, to come to know who God is in, a, in another land, um, to breathe that air, to be enriched, to be enlivened, 
and then to come back here. Um, mm. Aslan tells Lucy in the uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader, you've come to know me here for a little while. Yeah. So that by, so that by this, you may know me better there. Mm. Uh, the yeah. purpose of the books, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, are so that by coming to know who God is in this supposal, you might know him better here. That's mm. great. So mm. the books touch earth. That's awesome. Love it. Well, Pastor Hanson, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having today. me, guys. This was awesome. Looking forward to the next couple months, what they're yeah, going to bring. Um, also want to give a lot of credit to some of our production team. Um, they've done some awesome work helping us get everything set up, um, helping us with social media pictures, just everything. It's been tremendous getting the set for this and our Monday episode done. So we're so, so thankful. So thanks guys. Appreciate it. Um, (laughs) thank you all in the audience. So, so much for joining us. I hope this was an interesting episode, piqued your interest in the series, the Chronicles of Narnia. We're going to be, we're going to be beginning in June. I'm very excited for this. Uh, check out our show website, trdshow.net. Go to trdshow.net slash episode to watch all of our episodes for free on a platform that won't censor us because it's ours. Uh, So we highly encourage you to go there and you can watch all our content there. Send us an email, trdshow at protonmail.com. And thank you all so, so much. As always, have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Have a wonderful Lord's Day and we will see you on Monday. And remember everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. Amen.